So as we continue our study this week, um, if you remember what we've been talking about is being both needy and needed. And the first half of this class will focus in on the being needy aspect. And you may remember from last week that Will walked us through what is really the core of all our issues, and that is our hearts. Will walked us through the nature and the fruit of the heart as well as the medicine for the heart. And one of the things that we should keep in mind as we think about the heart is that the heart is very busy, isn't it? Okay. It's, it's always thinking, chasing, whatever the case may be. It's resting, hopefully, a lot. But our hearts are always on the move. Now, as Christians, we recognize that we've been given new hearts. And so the bent of our lives are hearts that are chasing after God ultimately, but are constantly tempted to pursue lesser things. Do you find that battle within your heart on a daily basis, right? Chasing after lesser things instead of chasing after God. And one of the things that can cause much anxiety within our hearts is when our busy hearts are met by hard circumstances, right? Hard circumstances have a way of really revealing where our hearts truly are in that moment. And that's the topic that we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you haven't picked up a note sheet yet, please go ahead and do that. And you can follow along there. I think all of us can testify that what we know about life is that troubling circumstances will come. Right? Everybody can testify to that. And we recognize that this is due to the curse that has come upon humanity because of our sin. And we'll look at a few passages here for you. Can everybody see that okay, or do we need to cut some lights? Everybody see that all right? Okay. Can I have somebody read that passage there in Genesis 3? So what we learn from the curse here is that there's pain and there's toil, right? Trouble has come upon humanity because of our rebellion against God. Job 14.1, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. It's a very clear statement there. And we know that troubling circumstances will come even more so for the believer. Not, not only do we have just the common effects of mankind, but as believers in Christ, we recognize that trouble often intensifies. John 16, Here's the words of Jesus, if somebody wants to read that. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the Okay, and that's a really important passage because one of the things that we're going to look at here is when these hard, hard circumstances meet our busy hearts, what do we do? How do we respond in that, in that trial? Okay, and there's a key here that Jesus gives us, that in me you may have peace. So even though troubling circumstances come at us, there is a peace, there is a settle, a settle that we should have with the Lord. 
okay, recognizing that in this world we will have trouble. And then Peter recognized his, or referred to this to his readers in 1 Peter 4.12, where he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Okay, so there's a declaration to believers. You're a believer. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials okay, that you face for following Christ. So we recognize that life is hard. And when difficult circumstances and our hearts meet, what happens is a conversation breaks out within our hearts. And that conversation can be full of wisdom and hope-filled, or it can be foolishness that masks itself as wisdom. And the reason that I say it that way is because when you are having a foolish inner monologue, normally it doesn't appear to be foolish in that moment, but rational, right? And then the Word of God strikes you and you recognize it's foolish in, in light of that. In light of that, but let's think through that a little bit further. And so you can look on your notes there. The conversation begins. When troubles come, that usually starts that inner monologue, and we begin by asking or by saying to ourselves something to the effect of, This is painful. Why is this happening? Anybody been there before? Right? Trying to figure things out. And when those thoughts aren't taken captive, they are often followed by reasoning in our minds that goes like this. Does God really care? Can his words be trusted? Maybe he doesn't really good. Maybe he doesn't really care. Wouldn't a good father protect his children from these type of things? And when that is not checked, it leads to lamenting and grumbling within our hearts. You probably remember the story of Job. Right there at the beginning, he loses his property and the lives of all of his children. And understandably, he mourns greatly. And then here's how he responds. And this is a pretty lengthy section, but it's worth noting when we think about how hard circumstances come upon us and how we respond to them. Job chapter 3. If somebody wants to read that. And hear, hear the words of Job here. Okay. So today perish on which I was born... The night had said, The man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those who curse it, let those curse it who curse the day. So let, let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none. Nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come out of the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, or why the breast that I should nurse? Or why was I not as a stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. 
Okay. No rest. Thank you. Okay, so there's just the lament of Job's heart as he considers his circumstance, right? Just pouring out his heart before God and questioning all kinds of things. Now, we know how it ends for Job, that he recognizes that God is sovereign and is in control of all things, and how Job's life teaches us that we should readily submit to his sovereignty, whether in joy or sorrow. But I think we can relate to Job's heart in the verses that we just read. And per, perhaps not on the same level as Job, either experientially or in his questioning of God's purposes, but in the wrestling of his heart in trying to figure out why these things have happened and why he even exists. We may not put it in those same terms, but I'm certain not all of us, to some degree, have had that type of questioning arise within our hearts when we've been met by hard circumstances. So we often give in to that temptation to reason in our own minds about the hard circumstances that we are facing. And all the while, God himself has spoken in his word and through his word and spirit, he has the right word for our hearts instead of the wrong words that are produced by our fallen thinking and the spiritual warfare that we are in. I think a helpful and popular passage that applies to this, one that many of you probably have memorized, is Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. So let's go ahead and read that, if I can have somebody read that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your path. Okay, now think about this verse in the context of hard circumstances that are coming upon you, what encouragement does that give you? Okay, let me just open that up and tell you, tell me what, what encouragement does this a passage like this give you in the midst of hard circumstances? How are you encouraged by that? I don't have to figure it all out. Very good. That that's a big relief, isn't it? Sometimes, because our hearts are constantly trying to pursue the reason. Right? Behind it, Jay, what else? Uh, that's the hardest part. Yes. And when you're in the middle of it, yes. it's trusting. Yes. And this is my favorite passage ever since I was young. Yeah. And uh, I've always referred to it. The hardest part is trusting. Yes. And what she said, that's, it's easier said than done. Absolutely. Many times. It certainly is. Definitely, right? A word like that can bring your restless, busy heart to a settled peace in the Lord, even though you don't have all the answers, right? Right. There's a peace that can come upon you when you trust in the Lord with all your heart and you don't lean on your own understanding. So you're not sitting there and you're trying to figure out every little thing about that situation and why this has happened. Many times, I think we can all testify that you come to the end there, you say, I just, I don't know. And I don't know that I'll know this side, right? But my response is to trust in the one who does know. And he has purposes behind that. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we, as we move on here. So our task is to hear God's word and follow him in all our ways, even the very difficult ones. And even those difficult ones really help us to see where our faith really is, right? Help us to see where our trust really is. It's easier to trust God when the sun's shining and everything's going well. It's like, oh, praise the Lord, everything's great. 
When you meet a really hard circumstance, that's when the rubber kind of meets the road, so to speak, and you find out where your faith really is. Fourth? I was just going to mention, five and six are wonderful, but seven is great too, because yes. it starts, do not be wise in your own eyes. Yes, yes. Which is the key. You know, sometimes we find a verse like that. Right. If we go just a little bit faster, just a little bit ahead, right. it makes it so much clearer. Yeah, to us. definitely, definitely. Yeah, do not be wise in your own eyes. Okay, so don't lean on your own understanding. And we get a good picture of what this looks like in Psalm 43. See Psalm 43 here. Psalmist going through a very difficult time. It says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. Okay? So I've got some serious things going on here, Lord, and I need help. Right? For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? So there's, there's wrestling going on here, right? Okay? He's thinking through things. He's asking questions. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Right? So his questioning doesn't end. He recognizes God's got the answer to this. Right? Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. And then notice the transition here, right? You have this questioning, this wrestling, and then he turns it inward. And this is what we need to learn. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's so interesting to see the thinking of the psalmist here in the first couple of verses, wrestling through this. Why don't you defend me? Why have you rejected me? And then a couple of verses later, why are you cast down on my soul? Right? The word of God coming in and penetrating changes your heart. And you have to preach that to yourself. right? And tell yourself, no, God is sovereign. God is in control. God does care for me and he does love me. So troubling circumstances come at us and we respond either one way or the other. And this conversation in our minds goes back and forth. Maybe you've seen that in your own heart, right? It's going on, you're wrestling, you're questioning, the Word of God comes in, you're settled a little bit, and then another thing comes on and your mind starts spinning again, and then the Word of God, and it's just going back and forth here. And the question is, do we listen to what God has said to us in His Word, or do we lean on our own understanding? Are we wise in our own eyes? And how we respond actually changes the experience of suffering, doesn't it? For example, if we respond with this, everything is meaningless and God doesn't care, our pain will actually be worse. We'll live in despair. But on the other hand, if we respond like this, I don't understand all this, but I know that my Father loves me and I trust Him. We will live with hope and perseverance. Right? So if we remember the promises of God in our trouble and turn to Him, that trouble can actually feel light and momentary in comparison to how we know that God is using these circumstances both in the here and now and how he is using them to increase the glory that is coming for us in Christ. 
perhaps you've heard me quote scripture in that statement there, that light and momentary affliction, because this is the way the Apostle Paul expresses it in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to back up to the beginning part of 2 Corinthians 1, and this is a bit extensive as well, seven verses, but if I can have somebody read this for us, and I'll click as needed, so who would volunteer to read 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 10? Okay, Lord, thank you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Okay, so we've got a couple things going on here that I want to mention before Lloyd continues to read. But first of all, we're receiving comfort from God in our affliction, right? So we come to know something more about the comforting, compassionate nature of God in the midst of our affliction that we wouldn't if we were not going through that affliction. So there's a drawing nearer to God through this, which all of us want. But we don't necessarily want the means by which God is going to bring us comfort and bring us closer to himself. But notice what Paul says here. He comforts us in all our affliction. Right? So it's not like, no comfort here. Comfort in this 98% of your affliction, but no comfort here in the 2%. So all of that affliction, God is comforting us. But notice he's also doing something else here, as Paul states. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So there's that, there's that body of Christ picture. Right? We're receiving comfort from God, walking through a certain situation, and you've probably experienced this in your life. You've gone through something, and you're thinking, I don't have any reason why I just went through that. And then five years down the road, somebody's walking through the same type of trial, and God reminds you of the comfort you received, and you bring that word of comfort to them, and now they're comforted in their affliction as well. And then you look back, and you're like, I get it now. Right? It goes on, Lloyd, if you wouldn't mind. If we are afflicted... It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. What you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. <clears throat> but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. Did I read that right? Yep. And he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Okay, so there's, there's a lot of assurance there from the Apostle Paul, having gone through many afflictions and seeing the hand of God and using that in the lives of these Corinthians who are now beginning to taste what it means to follow Christ and experience those type of sufferings. Watch how Paul goes on to talk about these things and then their conclusion. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 18, if somebody can read that for us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not given to despair. 
persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe, so I spoke. We also believe, so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with him into his presence. For it is all for you, for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, we may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Okay, so there's, there's a really helpful passage there as you see Paul kind of unpacking that. And then notice, he talks about at the beginning there, that aspect of we're struck down but not destroyed, persecuted, not forsaken. Okay. And then he says this, which is really... The only way that you can get your mind around this is that the Spirit is working greatly in his heart to remind him of the promises of God. When Paul can say, our light momentary affliction. And if you want to cross-reference there on your notes, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28, you get kind of a, a list of the sufferings that Paul experienced. But the only way that you can view it that way is when you understand the eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. And again, how does that come to us? Through the Word, through the Spirit, us bringing the Word to one another, reminding each other of the truths, the promises that we have in Christ, reminding us that these things that are taking place now are for our good and for God's glory. So we have to remind ourselves of these things as we experience hard circumstances. And again, this is another reason why we need each other. You may not be having the most profitable thoughts going through your mind in the midst of trouble, but your brothers and sisters in Christ can be there to be a listening ear and to offer a word of hope, right? So that's, that's the benefit of being in the body of Christ, is we can be that blessing to one another. Now, there on your notes, the conversation begins, but then the next point there is some conversations go better than others. <laughs> there are times, if we're honest, in which our hearts don't want any help. Right? We've had enough of our circumstances. We don't want to hear from other people. We don't want to hear from God. We want to wallow in our despair. And such was the case of a Jewish man in Nazi Germany that Ed Welch shares about in his book as this man was wrestling through the reality of the concentration camps. And I can't even imagine going through that and trying to wrestle through that, but here, here is what he says as a, as a Jewish man. It's testified of him that he was a quiet God-fearer. Some would call him shy. Neighbors rarely heard him speak, though they would say he was a good neighbor. When he was removed from his home and relocated to a Hungarian ghetto, ghetto was a, just a small place where they brought, they just brought the neighborhoods down, kept bringing them down into small areas where they put people before they transported them into the 
concentration camps. Uh, before he was removed, or I'm sorry, when he was removed from this place to a Hungarian ghetto, he was the same old person as if nothing had changed. But when he was herded into a truck that was far too small for the dozens of people on board, when the trip was in its second and then third day without water, when guards opened the doors every few hours and randomly rammed the butts of their rifles into infirmed heads, and when people were dying around him, his heart finally responded. His circumstances dominated the inner free-for-all. And this is what he said. Almighty God, why have you done this to us? Have you no heart, no feelings? Have you no eyes to see with? Have you no ears to hear with? You are wicked, O Lord, as wicked as a man. And unfortunately, that's where the conversation ended for this man. And he brought God to the stand and indicted him and said no more. And that was the end of that conversation. Now, again, I'm not pretending that that was an easy circumstance to go through. And not pretending to say that we wouldn't have had questions arise in our hearts if we were in the same circumstances. But one of the things that we see here, and it's much like we see in the Psalms, when there's questioning, it's, it's, it's followed by a pointing back to God and who He is. And so rather than turning to the Scriptures to understand the suffering of the only one who could both truly save Him and satisfy his questioning, even if that remained unanswered, he turned away from the understanding that he did have about God. But there's a better conversation that Welt shares regarding this, and let me, let me read this part to you. A 54-year-old father of four had a long history of walking with Jesus. One of his routines was to read a psalm every day, and Psalm 22 was one of his favorites. Since he had done this for decades, he certainly was accustomed to speaking honestly to the Lord in all circumstances, and he too could, could, could condense his reactions into a few words. During a routine exam, his physician noticed a highly irregular lesion on his shoulder, which he biopsied and sent to a pathology lab for testing. The results would be back in about 10 days. The physician was clearly concerned and suggested that his patient return to the office to discuss the results and consider whatever further treatments might be helpful. Ten days later, he made the visit, accompanied by his wife. The doctor got right to the point. I have bad news. The lesion is cancerous. What does that mean? What is the treatment and prognosis? It is a malignant melanoma, one of the most aggressive cancers. At this point, the only treatments we have are experimental, and they have not shown much promise. And the prognosis? I'm very sorry. Life expectancy is usually between 9 and 12 months. He thanked the physician for being helpful, clear, and forthright. They arranged a follow-up appointment of talk about experimental treatments. He and his wife left the office and cried together. See where I, I'm sorry, I lost my spot. His first words were, nothing has changed. In the face of the worst possible circumstance for both himself and his family, he said, nothing has changed. I love the way Welch says this. Listen, his heart and its clear-eyed knowledge of Jesus hijacked the internal conversation and essentially said this. 
If you think that news of my death will change my confidence and God's love toward me, it won't. His son gave his life for me. Why would I think he would love me less now? He loved me yesterday when everything seemed to be going well. Nothing has changed. He loves me today too. And that was the final word in that conversation. There was so much to do and many tears would follow. Indeed, he asked for prayer from family and friends, for faith, for hope, for love, but he never revised that initial conversation, even though he died surrounded by his family a year later. So there's two different scenarios of very drastic circumstances, and how do we respond to those? We want to say that we would respond like that second story and not like that first story, and that is why we need the Word of God to renew our minds continuously, and hopefully we're growing in that. But there's even a better example from Scripture, and that is found in Psalm 22. You can turn there if you would like. I'll have it up on the screen, which is a messianic psalm. That is a psalm that tells of Jesus. In fact, we hear in this psalm the words and thoughts of Jesus at the cross, and I think we can learn greatly from this. We, we have to remember that not only was Jesus God, but he was the perfect man. And his trials and his temptations were very real. If they weren't, he couldn't be the compassionate high priest who can sympathize in all of our weaknesses. And so Psalm 22 shows us that it's all right to pour our hearts out to God in the midst of great difficulty, even to ask questions but it's never right to indict God or grumble against him. So let's take a look at this psalm so that we can learn from it. Again, I'll have it up here on the screen. So if somebody would read verses 1 and 2 for us. So I want you to notice here that there's this pouring out from the heart of Jesus to his Father, right? He's not grumbling and complaining, but he's laying forth honest, open cries to his God and Father. And he's directing these to the promise-keeping God whom he knows is faithful to keep his word. And since it makes no sense that his Father would be silent and distant, he continues on here in verses 3 through 5. You would like to read that? Yet you are holy and throned on the praises of Israel, and you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. Okay. So you see that the cry is going in many directions. There's this questioning, but kind of like Psalm 43, there's, there's this turning back to God. Yet you are holy throned on the praises of Israel. And then he's pointing him back here, right? He praises the Father, speaks of desperate times in Israel's past when God rescued and delivered them. And I want you to notice here how he does spiritual battle by always bringing the conversation back to the faithfulness of the Father's reliability and his proven words and deeds. You notice that here? In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. There's a looking back here right, to the faithfulness of God that we can learn greatly from. 
as we're going through those hard circumstances. And in the midst of hard circumstances, we have to just keep directing our heart back to God's faithfulness, both in His words and in His deeds. And while there's great crying here, right? You hear Jesus crying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's, there's no chaos here, right? There's a resting in the midst of that crying, in the midst of that agony. There's a resting that the Father has clear authority over all others, which is what we see in verses 9 and 10. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Okay, so there's that, that testimony of who he is, who God is, and, and who he is as the one crying out to the Father. So in the midst of this immense trial, calls out to the only one who hears and acts. And we see this in verses 19 through 21. Somebody wants to go ahead and, and read that. But you, O Lord, do not be far off, O you, my help, come quickly to my aid, deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog, save me from the mouth of the lion, you have rescued me. Okay, good, thanks. And so that conversation continues, he moves from pleas for help to declarations of deliverance, which is what we see here in verse, at the end of verse 21, you have rescued me. And then what you see happen after this is this going public with his praise, the praise of God, and considering the certainty of the future. And you see that in verses 22 through 24. If you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, you'll recognize this is attributed to Jesus saying this, I would tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And He has not hidden His face from Him, but has heard when He cried to Him. And so you notice this shift in declared confidence that you have from verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then here in verse 24, he says, he has not hidden his face, but has heard, right? So again, there's that, there's that dialogue going on, that, that, uh, that monologue within, right? Questioning, thinking through, and then the word of God answering in that proclamation of praise and deliverance that God has wrought for us. And then this psalm ends wonderfully by pointing us back to this reality of trust. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Pos uh, posterity shall serve Him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn that He has done it. Right? So there you have the end of it. So you start off at the beginning, you're like, uh-oh, <laughs> some serious things going on here. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from hearing me? But as the thought continues, the declarations of praise arise as the psalmist thinks back on the deliverance that God has brought to his people, and therefore he's reliable. He's going to bring it 
to us. So this, this psalm is one of many, and I hope the psalms really are an encouragement to you. I mean, they just really lay out for you the heart of the psalmist, don't they? And just lay bare all the emotions that are going on, all the things that the psalmist is wrestling through. But it always points you back to the sufficiency of God and a resting in Him. And so this psalm is really one of those that I think helps us learn how to direct our inner conversation with God when that trouble comes. So make it a habit to be in the Psalms uh, continually. And then the last point here on your, on your notes is keep talking and listening. Grow during trouble. None of us have arrived. Amen? When hard circumstances come, I got this. Perfect. Check. I trust. No problems. Right? Now, hopefully, we can look back and say, okay, I'm growing, <laughs> right? Even if I'm not responding perfectly, I am, I am growing. I'm, I'm trusting more, right? There's, there's becoming more of a settled peace in my heart as those circumstances come. So we keep talking to God and we keep listening from Him, and we're not grumbling about Him or to Him. Most of us have those times when suffering can temporarily turn our hearts hard toward God to some degree. For some of us, it can be something as simple as a, a flat tire, <laughs> right? Or uh, another mechanical mishap within the car. I can't believe this. I'm a Christian. I thought these, why do these things keep happening to me? And, right? But really, these, it's, it's amazing, right, how those little simple things really reveal your heart, and you're just like, oh, Really? Okay. But, but for others, as, as we mature in the faith, hopefully those things don't throw us off as much. For others, the line is crossed in our hearts when something tragic takes place, like when something happens to a loved one. That's when that line is crossed in our heart, and we say, okay, that's, not, that's as far as I can go. Now I'm going to start grumbling. Now I'm going to start complaining against the Lord. And whatever that line may be in our hearts, we must continue to talk and listen and grow. Listen until no line exists. Until no amount of suffering can shake our confidence in the God who loves us. And when we get to that place where no line exists, we must labor to stay there by keeping our eyes fixed on the great God who has already displayed the greatest amount of care for us when he sent forth his Son. And so hopefully you can see how that should minister first to your own heart and its neediness, especially during hard circumstances, but also how you can be a blessing to your brothers and sisters in the midst of those times as well. And as I said at the beginning, there are times, and this is where we have to pray for wisdom and ministering to one another, because there are times where you just weep with those who weep and you don't say anything. And there'll be a time to speak, but it may not be right then in that moment. Okay? So we have to ask God to guide us and and direct us in these things. But we're meant to be a blessing to one another and keep pointing one another. Come alongside one another. Put our arm around each other and keep pointing each other to the glory and the goodness that we have in Christ and of His love for us. And so we're praying that our hearts would be reminded of this, whatever our circumstances may be, and that we would be used in each other's lives to point back to this reality when we're tempted to doubt and question God's loving kindness toward us. Amen? Amen. All right, any, any thoughts, uh, questions, comments?
Forrest. I have one that I think it's just natural in our lives, and I don't mean natural men, but natural inherent truism that women are much more open when they're facing challenges to talk with each other. And guys generally aren't. I think it would really behoove us to realize we, when we go, especially men, when we go through difficult times, we need to learn from our sisters that it's so important to go and seek good counsel from solid believers and elders, and not to hope. Yes. I concur. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good word for us men. I think that's very helpful. Very helpful for us. Thank you. Lloyd. It kind of all goes back to Fellowship, prayer, and not forsaking the gathering of the saints. And it, every, like every lesson that we've been doing lately, it all goes back to the simplicity of where God, the well that we should go back continuously Amen. in order to help each other. And when one of those lacks, it'll show in your daily walk, it'll show in your application. Amen. Good point. Good, that's Peter and sort of writing to these the persecution in first Peter 1 13, therefore preparing preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully in the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. Amen. So it's sort of like there is there's this doing that we ought to be preparing our minds and setting our minds on things as well. And there's also this like you know, when you mentioned before, like, even these circumstances, they just, you just hope grace, like, they give you grace at the time you're going through that. So both are at work there. Amen. One or the other, but both are happening. It really is like, Lord, help me when I get there, not to forsake you or not to right. go wrong or whatnot. Yes, amen. Good, good point. Okay, any other thing on that? Well, uh, for me, I, I know one of the things that I feel like the Lord showed me is when I'm going through hard things, is that hard conversation is still taking me to the Lord, yeah. or is it taking me away? Right. And that's how yeah. I can tell whether or not yeah. I'm, I'm right before the Lord. Because yeah. am I going to the Lord grumbling about Him or about my circumstances, or am I going to the Lord just telling Him how I feel? Right. You right. know, yes. and how hard it is, but I know that he has a purpose. Yeah. You yeah. know, and am I going to him or am I going away? Yeah. No. Same way with the body of Christ. That's right. Am I going away? My tendency is to go away because right. I don't want them to give me the word. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, you know, okay, I'm not ready yet. I want to end my pity party for a while. You know, you know no, going to a pity party, I get really good pity parties. Yeah. If anybody needs one. And so, <laughs> And so, um, but then after I get there and do that, then the Lord just progresses me along yeah. the line. And it is a process. We don't know between the verses in Psalms how long David struggled, right. you know, with right. things. I mean, yeah. we see like when he lost his son, how he struggled before and then after he said, you know, yes. but, but it's a process. It's not just a, some people just think, okay, here's the verse, and okay, 
okay, here you are, and here's where you need to be, and so, you know, I'll give you a week. <laughs> you know? right, right. And God doesn't do that to us. Right, right. He gives us a process, and we can go through that process. Right. Yeah. I just love that about the graciousness and compassion of God, that he allows us that process. Yeah. Definitely long-suffering with us, that's for, uh-huh. for sure. All right, good. Let me go ahead and close us out and get ready for the, for the service this morning. Um, Father, you are indeed kind and gracious, merciful, abounding in steadfast love towards your people. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord, as you day by day, moment by moment, conform us into the image of your Son. And we thank you for the means of grace that you have given to us, Lord, as Lloyd has mentioned. Help us not to neglect those means. Help us to see them as a joyful delight and duty, Lord, to strengthen our hearts. And Lord, help us to remember that every circumstance that comes to us comes from your hand. And even though we may not be able to answer all of it, Lord, We need grace to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not to lean on our own understanding. Please help us to that end, Lord, and help us to be diligent in our fellowship with one another, to lovingly come alongside each other, pointing each other back to the grace and the sufficiency that we have in Jesus. We need our hearts reminded of that continually, your loving care for us. We thank you for this. We are needy, Father. We need you every moment. And we delight to declare it. And pray that that would continuously be the refrain of our hearts, Lord. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.